You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, how is everyone doing today? I was looking like you're doing good. So I had a moment this morning when I looked at the date, kind of as I was printing all these things out, and I realized today was December 4th. Now, there's nothing special about December 4th other than Christmas is three weeks away today, which is hard to believe, and that, man, January 1st is just around the corner. And it kind of dawned on me how fast this year has really gone by. I mean, I'm trying to remember Easter, and I'm trying to remember, you know, the summer vacation, and what that looked like, and where we all were kind of at that time, and it didn't seem that long ago that we were, you know, preaching series about Jesus 2016, you know, that's who we're voting for, and, and then we had our actual election, and, and even now, that seems like, wow, that was a long time ago. That's like old news now. Trump does something on, you know, on the media, and it's kind of like, there's, there's a lot less shock value. Because it's like, okay, amen. You know, he's the president. But as we thought about, man, this year has gone by so fast. And you know, as our country, as we kind of close in on the end of the year, loves to kind of spend time in review. You know, we're going to go over every championship that was won in sports. There's going to be reviews over every famous person that passed away this last year. There's going to be reviews of every kind of major event that happened, things that changed our country, changed our thinking, discoveries. You know, we love to reflect on kind of how things went. And if you're not in the habit of it personally, I just want to urge and encourage us that at some point this month, you take some time, set aside an afternoon or set aside a day or or just even a couple hours to really meditate and spend some time with God. And I have a few to really reflect on just a few things in 2016. Ask yourself a few of these questions. These aren't actual homework questions, but more guidelines for what that time that you spend with God might look like. You know, as a disciple, you might evaluate, you know, how did my relationship with God deepen this year? You know, how did I do? Have I grown in my convictions? Did I have victory over sin? That maybe had been dogging me for a long time. You know, did I achieve things that I set out to do? What were those things? You know, I think it's healthy to evaluate our strengths and our weaknesses. And the areas that we want to continue to grow. Just as men and women who are trying to be close to God. You know, as a spouse, how would I evaluate myself? How was I? You know, a wife or husband? You know, was I respectful? Was I patient? Was I loving this year? How could I grow? You know, as a sibling, as a son or a daughter, you know, for all, all of us, I mean, however old you are, you're either a son or a sibling or a daughter of somebody, right? How was I? Was I respectful towards my parents? Maybe my parents who are not Christians, you know, did I, did I make an effort? Did I give my whole heart in reaching out to them this year? And finally, just as a church, Right? We've got to evaluate, man, in my ministry, in my small group, in, in our community, how did we do? How have we grown together? You know, this is important as we, as we think about these things, as we come to the end of the year, that we are spending this time in evaluation. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, oh, 
Not that one. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. If you guys will turn there with me. I don't have the slides. So you're going to actually have to push or flip. It's funny that we still laugh about that. Like I was, I was kind of expecting, you know, we say push or flip because all of us have like, you know, iPads and, you know, different things. And, and we still kind of think it's really funny. I think it's funny. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, the Bible reads, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, this is a scripture that we're very familiar with. We love to use this passage. It's so applicable. It's got so many different angles. But I find that primarily we use this when it comes about how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, right? We focus on the love and good deeds part. Or not giving up meeting together. You know, hey, we've got to be together. We're a family. And we talk about, but I love that the author of Hebrews opens up with, and let us consider. Let us evaluate how we may do these things. You know, ultimately, we want to grow, both personally and as a family, whose goal is to help people have a deep and transformative relationship with God. And so, considering these things is fairly important. But, kind of going back to our year in review, as much as there were exciting and amazing and and incredible memories that we built this year, there were also a fair share of hardships this year. Right, as we look back on 2016, as we look back on our own lives, and just the things that we experienced, the things that happened to us, to those around us, to our families, there was a fair share of hardship. It could have been somebody dealing with the loss of a loved one, or maybe someone close to you making the decision to leave God. Maybe you lost your job, or your family has hit financial troubles that you haven't navigated before. Friction in your relationships that you haven't experienced before. Or maybe, as most of us, probably all of us, I would say, challenging events like these revealed things in your heart and in your character that God decided now is the time we're going to deal with that. That's the one I find. I find that whenever hardship comes, typically that's God pulling things out, pulling pulling stuff into the light and going, okay, now is the time. We're going to take some time to work on these things together. You know, maybe you've been feeling like this year has just been a season of suffering for you. You know, God, why have I been under your thumb this whole year? 2016 has just been the year of the thumb, and I'm under it. Like, what is going on? Right? We can feel like that sometimes. Like, man, this was just a a tough year. And for some of us, it was. This was a tough year. And that's a very real topic of conversation. And this morning, what we're going to talk about is just that. That as men and women of God trying to make an impact on this world, trying to go through, mature in our relationship with God, have an incredible transformative effect on our families, but also on the people around us, one thing that we absolutely must learn how to do as we all are growing up and maturing, continuing to mature, is we must learn to embrace suffering. And the title of my lesson this morning is simply Embracing Suffering. 
You know, in the Himalaya mountains, and, and specifically in, in Nepal, most mat- building materials, from when they're building houses or when they're, you know, any kind of construction project, has to be brought up the mountain. And so it's, it's not uncommon to see men on the trail at incredible altitude carrying the materials that it's going to take to build a home like this man or to to construct things for their town or for their village or for their city and there's a suffering that you've got to embrace when you're hiking a ton of lumber up a mountain you just kind of got to come to terms that that's that's going to be what's going to happen here and for me, this year was my, actually my 10th year as a Christian. I, I celebrated my 10th spiritual birthday this year, which, which was encouraging. I mean, it feels like yesterday. But in a very real way, it does feel like yesterday. I remember when I was 18 years old, I was still wet from the waters of baptism and still kind of doe-eyed about the whole world. You know, everything that happened in those days, and, and a lot of us can remember, everything that happened in those days was from God. If you pulled into school and there was a parking spot where there shouldn't have been, it was like, oh, God, just save me this spot. Right? Or if you you showed up to work and there were some snacks left in the break room, it was like, oh, God just wanted me to have these snacks. You know what I'm saying? Like, we we were so kind of just blown away by who God was. And maybe you're experiencing this right now, kind of the honeymoon phase of your relationship with God, where it's like, man, everything is just kind of from God. You're sitting there having a quiet time and a butterfly floats by for the sisters. And you're like, it's just God. It's just God's sign to me. It's my sign from God. Hummingbird. You know. It's like wildlife. It's just God saying hi. It's like he just did a flyby. He said, hey, how's it going? Just took off. Like, oh. Right, but I find that, man, as, as I'm getting older spiritually, kind of the, uh, the, the shiny romantic luster of being a Christian is starting to wear off a little bit. And what it means to be a man of God, what it means to be a woman of God, starts to reveal itself. If you guys will turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Paul writes, For it has been granted to you, granted to you, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. And I'm not by any means saying that following God is a silly romantic notion. It's quite the opposite. But more that the longer you spend as a Christian, the more kind of the depth and the reality of what you've been called to become and what we've been called to do in this life starts to become a lot more real. It starts to sink in that maybe you're going to end up suffering a little bit more than you thought you were going to when you got baptized. I don't know about you guys, but when I was studying the Bible, and if you're studying the Bible right now, you might be feeling this, that, wow, it's, that once I become a Christian, man, it's like smooth sailing. Like, we're going to go through all this rough stuff right now. My life is, a, you know, it's a hot mess, and I just need... Need some fixing here, but then once it's fixed, like, man, it's like the car is ready to go. And we're just smooth cruising. Like hitting cruise control, driving to Palm Springs with no potholes. It's like just, ah. Car cars practically now can drive themselves. 
When the reality is, the longer that you've been a Christian, the more you realize, no, this is really hard. And in fact, the things I used to take for granted, I should have paid a lot more attention to those things because, man, I had it really good right after I got baptized. Because now that I've been a Christian for this time, man, things are a little bit more challenging. There's a little bit more suffering that I'm involved with in my life, just in my day-to-day. And you go, Chaz, I'm not being persecuted. I'm not talking about persecution. I'm just talking about the suffering of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ every day. That there is a suffering involved in that. You know, being a Christian is not for the faint of heart. I remember when I was in college, I was at Cal State Long Beach doing my undergrad, and my roommate, who was, we were interns at the time, was going to Long Beach City College. It's Greg Russell. He now leads the campus ministry in Long Beach. And we would all the time kind of jump in on each other's Bible studies just to kind of give it a little extra mustard or, you know, kind of learn from one another. He had strengths. I had strengths. And so we, were, we started studying the Bible with this guy from Long Beach City College. And he was just a regular second year student. But he was just really hard to get a hold of. Like, have you ever tried to, not even study the Bible, but have you ever tried to hang out or spend time with someone who is just incredible, I mean, like, nailing them down is like, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? You know what I'm talking about? Where you set up some time, but then you show up, and maybe they don't show up. Or you set up some time, and you're on your way there, and they're canceling on the phone, if they cancel. And, and so you, you end up hanging out at, like, random weird times, catching each other, like, outside of the bathroom or something. Like, you come out, and that's where you run into them. Like, oh, what? I, uh, okay, how long? Five minutes. Okay, let's, you know, and you try to get something going. So we, we were studying the Bible with this guy, and somehow we, we made it deep enough into the Bible studies that we started talking about sin. And so, you know, we start talking about sin, and we're going through a couple scriptures where we're just kind of rolling out, hey, this is the Bible's standard on these things. And he got really quiet. And, and we start, you know, how are you feeling right now? He goes, man, I, I don't think I can study the Bible anymore. Okay, but, you know, what, what are you thinking? He goes, man, I, I mean, this, is, this whole list of sin, I mean, is me, and I just don't deserve to go to heaven. And it's kind of at that, you know, everyone, nobody deserves to go to heaven. And so when someone says that, you kind of get a sense of like, wow, they get it. There's an understanding of, man, none of us deserve God's grace. None of us deserve God's mercy. And, and kind of the quicker that we can realize that, man, the quicker you can move your heart behind how amazing it is that God still wants to give it to you. And so we start, you know, and I, I'm, we're going through the scriptures together with him. And he goes, no, but I, I just, there's no way that I deserve to go to heaven. Okay, like, you know, what, what, what are you thinking about right now? Like, what, there's something kind of weighing on you right now. What's going on? And he goes, well... You know, last year, and he starts getting really emotional. He goes, you know, last year my brother was murdered by the rival gang kind of in the, the area of Long Beach that we live. And he goes, so, I mean, that was just probably one of the darkest times of my life, kind of coming to terms with that. He goes, but I was so overcome with my anger and my hatred that I, I've joined my brother's gang since then to get revenge on the men who killed my brother. He goes, I've taken out about three or four of them, but there's still a few left. 
And I don't see me being able to become a Christian once that's done or now, kind of with this blood on my hands. He was 19 years old. And he's just, you know, weeping. And there comes a moment in your relationship with God when you realize that what God is trying to do with us is so much bigger than we imagine or we realize probably 99% of the time. Just hearing this young man's story, and he, we never saw him again after that. We tried to continue to study the Bible with him and, and tried to give him hope, and, and he never came back. And it just kind of pounded home this idea. I mean, life by itself is suffering. That everyone goes through pain and hardship in their lifetime. But God... The difference between the world and God is that God uses those things for our good. That God uses those things to make us stronger. To make us more humble. To make us more loving. And it's not that God causes those things to happen. But it's definitely within God's realm to allow those things to happen when it's absolutely necessary. You know, in Acts chapter 9, in verse 15, as Paul is blinded by Jesus and and is studying the Bible to become a Christian, you know, God comes to a man, a disciple named Ananias, and says, Hey, Ananias, you need to go and talk to Paul. I need you to go and give him back his sight and help him become a Christian. And Ananias had some feelings. He said, God, you're telling me to go talk to the man who's been killing all these Christians and you want me in the same room with him, number one. And number two, you want me to invite him to Bible talk or to our, you know, our Sunday service and and help him become a Christian. And God's response was, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You know, God's plan always involved suffering. And when you think about it, as disciples, this is something that we face every day. It takes a suffering to make a decision to die to yourself and to live for Jesus. That's something the world does not do. It takes a decision, a willingness to suffer, to fight, to be resolved with people when they hurt you. To forgive people when they've hurt you. Man, there's a suffering in there. You know, being humble to correction. Making a decision that, you know what? I need help in my life. And I need to be willing to let people say to me the things that are ultimately for my good. Man, there's a suffering there. You're not going to hear things that you're too fired up to hear all the time. There's a willful suffering. Doing what's best for my relationship with God. That's a suffering. Sharing your faith. For some of us, that may be a little bit more suffering than others, but to be vulnerable and to put yourself out there knowing that there's a good chance I'm going to be shot down and this guy is not going to want to have anything to do with Jesus or my invitation to come to church. There's a suffering there that 
not everyone every day has to go through. Even making a decision to love people through their pain and through their sin. Right? There's a suffering involved in that. And I think when we're faced with this decision to suffer, man, there's only really two decisions or one of two options that you can decide on. One, you either run away or two is you embrace it. And you embrace what God is trying to do and what he's trying to form in your life until it's seen its way through. And I think in order to do that, in order to do this, number one, we've got to have a God perspective. If you guys will turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. You know, God uses suffering to refine us and to work in us in ways that in the moment are very hard to imagine. Right? If you took any story of the Bible and you cut it off about halfway, it would probably be really discouraging. Right? When you think about it, I mean, if Jesus died on the cross and then you cut it off, that's discouraging. If you took Noah getting eaten by a whale, and then it was like, boom, the end. (laughs) He got eaten by a whale. It's like, wow, that's discouraging. I don't enjoy that. If you took David, right, when he cheated on his wife, murdered his best friend, and had an illegitimate child with Bathsheba. This was the man after God's own heart. If you took that story and you just went, okay, we're going to end it right there. Not very inspiring, to say the least. But I love that in all of these things, in the moment, it's hard to see unless you're seeing these things from a God perspective. You know, many of us in Genesis chapter 45, many of us know the story of Joseph. That as a teen, right, he lorded over kind of these visions that he'd gotten from God. He lords them over his brothers. His brothers throw him in a hole, sell him into slavery. And then while he was in slavery, despite all of his hard work, he's framed by his master's wife and thrown in prison. And then while in prison, despite all his hard work and doing well, he's forgotten about and left there for years and years. And he comes out of prison and is finally kind of raised up to Pharaoh's right hand now as a fully grown man. Most of his youth kind of spent in suffering. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I can imagine how I would have responded to those kinds of situations. And it probably wouldn't have been very spiritual. Thinking about just kind of everything that happened in his life from, I mean, not even the middle. He was so young when it happened that I would say probably more than half of his life at that point where he was at in years had probably been spent in suffering. And you think, man, this guy could go so sideways from all of this stuff. Like his, he could be so thrown to, to have an incredibly bitter heart, to hate God, to hate his family, to use this as fuel to just drive him as far away as he possibly could. And yet, the most amazing thing happens. And in Genesis chapter 45, starting in verse 4, the Bible reads, Then Joseph said to his brothers, right, the first time that he'd seen his brothers since they threw him in that hole and sold him into slavery. He said to them, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, 
the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. Unbelievable. He pulls his brothers in and he goes, it was not you who sent me here, but God sent me here for a great deliverance. Talk about seeing things from a God perspective. You know, God allows us to go through suffering. And he is the one to even instigate it at times. Like, like when it comes to revealing sin. Revealing those secret sins that we hide from everyone else in order to push us to grow. The reality is nothing is a catalyst for faith or for growth in the same way that suffering is. Nothing will push you harder to grow. Nothing will push you harder to be humble, to be loving, to be courageous, to be bold, than suffering will. God is always focusing on the long term. He is always thinking about the long term, the end game. How is this going to go? Sure, you might have to suffer here a little bit, but that's nothing as long as you make it to heaven. God's not willing to trade those priorities. You know, it's in these times, just like with Joseph, that God may strip all of us down to, of everything that, that we might possibly rely on except for Him. To push us. Will you rely on me? You think about Joseph, he had nothing. Even being in prison, I mean, he didn't even have a Bible. He had no scriptures. This, to have such a heart based purely on his relationship with just his prayer life, the times he was meditating, crying out to God, wrestling with God, processing with God, and he had this kind of a spirit. I feel ashamed. It makes me feel ashamed of the things that I struggle with. The things that I wrestle, the things that I feel, God, I'm done with this. I'm done with it. I read this and I go, wow. It's possible. It's possible to have that much faith. Where is my faith at? Where is my willingness to embrace the suffering like Joseph did? Joseph could have had a very shallow opinion of God. God, this hurts too much and it's your fault. I'm done. And he could have said, I'm not dreaming anymore. I'm not going to give anymore. You're going to put me in these situations. I'm just going to let it go. I don't want to deal with this anymore, God. He might have gotten comfortable. I know I'm in prison, but this prison, I don't know what's coming next. So far you took me from a hole to slavery to prison. This is a digression here. I don't, I don't know if I want to test you on what you're going to bring me next. I'm just going to stay where I'm at. I'm comfortable there. Right? He could have had even that kind of a heart to shy away from the suffering. But if he had not fought for God's perspective, what would have happened to his family? 
Right? When we read these scriptures, man, how would they have been different if Joseph, how would the nation, he's the one who saved the nation with his plan from God about storing up grain. Otherwise, because there was a famine in the land. Man, what would have happened to his nation, to his family, to his people had he not embraced the suffering? I think, man, we can never be sure of how big of a perspective God is dealing with in our momentary sufferings, in our momentary troubles. We have no idea what God is trying to form in us and how that's going to affect us in the future, how that's going to affect others in the future. I mean, it's unbelievable. And it comes back to us. You know, when, we think about, when you think about your life, what would happen if you were to run away from the suffering maybe that you're going through right now? What would that change in the big picture for your family? What would that change in the big picture for your life, for your people, for your future? I mean, man, it's But if we embrace the suffering... I mean, I read Joseph's story, it makes me emotional. Just how faithful this guy was. And that even now, his decision to embrace suffering is, is an inspiration to us. I mean, if you would have told him in that moment, hey, in a couple thousand years, there's going to be a lot of people that are moved by your faithfulness. Wow. It doesn't feel good, but we have to understand that God is only doing this for a time. A time that will not last forever, but may affect our forever. You know, we've got to have a God attitude when it comes to suffering. In Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Paul writes, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Right? God uses suffering powerfully to give us hope. To push us to hope. But only when we accept it. We have to choose to have God's perspective. We have to choose to embrace the suffering. You know, when we embrace suffering, another thing is that we become one with Christ. You know, I picked these polar bears because, to me, all polar bears look the same. They just look like little versions of one another. You know what I'm saying? When you see polar bear cubs, like in the Coca-Cola commercials, they, they li- it's just a little tiny version of this, you know, 12-foot man-eating polar bear. They're really cute and cut. But when you think about, man, when we suffer, we become more like Jesus. That through suffering, God can use that, does use that to transform us into kind of little versions of Jesus. That through our sufferings, we can become one with Christ. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 17... Paul had this whole idea when he wrote to the church in Rome. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs. Not sub-heirs. He says co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory 
that will be revealed in us. You know, we start to see Paul, this guy who suffered so tremendously, right? You read the New Testament, and it's kind of just a list of beatings that Paul took in different places that he was so fired up about. You know, at different times, he's talking about, there's a passage uh, in Acts after he gets stoned almost to death, and he's leaving the city, and there's one sentence where he goes, it was so encouraging. It was so effective. Because, like, one guy became a Christian. You know, when you see these attitudes, that's a Jesus attitude. That's something Jesus would have said. Like, yep, it was worth it. That suffering, yeah, it, it hurt. It was, it was challenging, but it was worth it. And the more that we go through these things, the more that we're able to handle these things by bringing them to Jesus, the more we become like that. The more we have Jesus' patience the more we start to have Jesus' sense of peace when he faced sufferings. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 10, Paul gets to a point in his life when he writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, man, I don't want anything else in life. I'm, you know, everything, I've seen enough places. All I want is to know what it was like to share in his sufferings. To be transformed by God the way that he was transformed. To have the faithfulness that he had. To have the peace knowing that God was going to take care of me that he had. He goes, that's all I want. So you can throw whatever you want, hardship, persecution, I'll take all of it. Because I know at the end of the day, everything I suffer is one step closer. Being like Jesus. Bring on the next one. I want to, I want to take that next step. Do we have that same attitude when it comes to the things in our lives? Do we see every one of our sufferings? Maybe it's a baby step, maybe it's a leap. But in every way, it's moving us closer to Jesus. Man, that's powerful. You know, Paul writes that sharing in Jesus' sufferings go hand in hand with sharing in his glory. You can't have one without the other. There's no fast food way to share in Jesus' glory. We've got to go straight through. And I think sometimes we can get stuck in our hurt. And that that can stop us. You know, I was thinking about the West Side. I love our family. And I love our church. I love our people. I love our disciples. Ever since Olivia and I have come here, we've just been so overwhelmed by how grateful we are for all of you. And as I've thought about, man, where do we want to see the West Side go in 2017? Man, I want to see better things. I want to see bigger, explosive, zealous, unbelievable things. I want to see it to where we need to add chairs. Like on the, you know, we have the whole wings of this auditorium. I don't know if you guys see this. We have whole wings. We've got a whole upper deck. I want to see this thing filled. I don't know about you guys. I want to see people in here, and I want to see our family growing. I want to see baptisms happening on this stage. I know the Savoy's just bought a baptismal. I don't know if we can actually put it up here. 
but I'm down. Like, just throw down a, you know, we can have like the whole campus ministry just bring every towel in their house and we'll just lay it down. Well, but I mean, do we have these kind of, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take a suffering because just like we said, man, this is the life of a disciple. That means we're going to have to share our faith. That means we're going to have to speak the truth to one another in love. That means we're going to have to fight to be more unified than we've ever been. That there can be no cliques in the West Side Church anymore. That there can be no like we're little clusters of old friends, but we don't. Nobody else really. No, you know, we don't have any like newcomers into our into our group. No, that means that this needs to become the group. That if you're here with us, this is the size of our clique. And you're in it. If you walk through those doors, welcome. You're in our group now. That there's no... You know what I'm saying? I think in 2016, I think we've done so much healing. And Olivia and I, I mean, we talk about this because it gets preached a lot. Kind of the hurts from the last couple years. I think Olivia and I, you know, we came in obviously way after any of that happened. We weren't here for that. I can't speak to any of that. I have no authority to speak on that. I wasn't here. I didn't experience any of what that was like. And I know for a fact, for a lot of us, that was suffering. That there were things that happened that hurt us deeply. But are we going to embrace that suffering? Wherever you're at right now, whatever you've gone through in the last couple years, whatever you've gone through in the last couple months, weeks, days, even this morning, you are exactly where God wants you to be in your suffering right now. It's not like something happened to you that God didn't know about, that took him, whoa, oh, oh, I'm sorry, that was, hold on. I did not see that coming. Okay, we got to... It's not like that happened. You know what I'm saying? God has us exactly where He wants us. That what we're wrestling with, what's hurting right now, is, is what God is wanting us to push through. It's not a running away. It's not a, well, I'm just going to survive. It's No, no, no. God is forming something in me right now. And I don't know what it is. I don't know how many people it's going to affect other than me right now. But I am not willing to walk away from what God is calling me to. I'm not willing to let this work that God is trying to do in my heart go unfinished. Whatever God is going to do, I'm ready for it. And I'm going to get the help I need. That's not a lone ranger statement. No, we need help. We need one another. And there's an incredible thing about suffering. Suffering helps us become one together. You know, I found these photos. I love these photos. So this is Alistair and Johnny Brownlee. They are triathletes from Great Britain. As you can tell, they got the GBR. They competed in the Olympics, but they compete in triathlons, like world-class, the, the most elite-level competitions that, that there is. And there was this triathlon that happened that finished in Mexico. And the one on the left, that's Alistair, and the one on the right is Johnny. Now, Johnny was predicted to win this race. And he ended up getting beaten by a, a guy from South Africa... But they stuck. The two brothers were coming up in second and in third. 
Like they were just kind of neck and neck, keeping pace with each other the whole time, pushing each other. And in the last 700 meters of the race, Johnny, the one on the right, from dehydration, exhaustion, and heat stroke, starts to fail. He starts to get rubber legs. And, he, and it's looking like he's going to pass out. Looking like he's going to fall. So Alistair grabs his arm, puts it over his shoulder, and says, we're finishing this race. And it's unbelievable. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 8, it says, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul writes, join with me. Come on, let's do this together. They get to the finish line. And Alistair gets Johnny's on rubber legs. And he goes, no, 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 you're in second. You're going to make it. You're going to finish this race. And he pushes his brother across the finish line. He then immediately collapses and has to go to the hospital. <laughs> but he was fine. Now the point is, Johnny would have collapsed on the other side of the finish line 702 meters previously without his brother there. He would not have made it to the end. World class that he was, elite that he was, he needed his brother there to put his arm over his shoulder and say, no, we're finishing this thing. Guys, we are an incredible family if we choose to be. We need each other so desperately. No one can suffer through the life of a disciple by themselves. We took a fellowship break today for the, for the first time and I don't know how long. And it, I mean, you, Nick said, okay, we're going to take a fellowship break and okay, there you go. And it was like immediately everyone just like... Nobody, it was just kind of like, okay, well, fellowship break. You check on uh, fantasy football. You know what I'm saying? It was everyone. That is the power of our family. That is the power of who we are together. The Bible is right. When one part suffers, every part suffers with it. When one part rejoices, the whole west side rejoices with it. We can be an incredible family because of God. Because we can suffer together. We can, as it says in Galatians, we'll feel like that sometimes. But we need each other. As we shift over to the communion portion of our service. In Galatians chapter 6, in verse 2, we're going to close with this passage. The Bible says, Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We have the ultimate example of spiritual formation through suffering. We have Jesus. We have every resource that God could possibly give us to make it through this life. To embrace the suffering allotted to us and not survive but thrive. And to become something so much stronger, so much more powerful 
together. That we could be an incredible force. That we could move and transform the hearts of so many in this world because of what Jesus has given us. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much that this life is not a cakewalk. That you give us things to challenge us. That you give us hardship to test us. To push us to rely on you. To push us to reach out to one another. God, that we might draw near to you as we all draw together to your Son. God, I pray that as we close out this year, 2016, that you would help us to evaluate how did we suffer? How, how did we do in the suffering that was allotted to us? God, we know that you do not give us anything more than what we can handle. You love us like that. And God, I pray that as we look forward to 2017, that we would grab one another, put each other's arms over our shoulders, that we would finish this race together, that your spirit would guide us, that your son's sacrifice would move us, and that your love would compel us to be the people that you dream that we would be. Thank you so much for all of these things. And I pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.